All right. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Nice and sunny in Melbourne today. Um, so nice to have you and the podcast and the YouTube channel. Um, you are an amazing actress, filmmaker and film producer and also um, a breast cancer survivor. So um, do you want to um, say a bit about yourself, your name, where you're coming from and what your life is a bit about? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it's exciting to see you do this new podcast and I look forward to watching everyone else. Um, so I grew up in Finland um, and uh, then I studied in England and I have been in Australia for about 12 years now. And uh, yeah, from quite early on, I, I always just loved performing. I think it was my way of almost connecting with people and As an actor, I most enjoy about getting into knowing the character. And I think it's it's just my way of understanding other people better. Like that's what I love about acting is understanding how someone else's mind operates. And, and I guess I've always been playful in nature and, um, and I've, I've liked improvisation from very early on. And, And I was always a little bit directorial, I guess, even as a child. Like I remember on playgrounds, I would have been the one who was kind of facilitating the play for everyone. If we were skipping rope or something, I was like, okay, your turn, your turn, your turn. And it was always like, it wasn't about me. It was more about organizing other people so that it was fair for everyone. Because I remember my mom instilled this, this like, this awareness of fairness like what's fair and what's what's right and what's not right and and so then I felt like it was kind of my role to make sure that everyone gets a fair go and and that was what my kind of directorial journey became early on that I I facilitated everyone's play on the playground and now I facilitate some films <laughs> it's not that different we're still just skipping ropes and taking turns um, but yeah, so I started um, producing films uh, a few years, maybe like, let's say 10 years ago, probably, I would have started writing and producing my first short films. So I, um, I made five short films as a director producer before I launched into making features and yeah, um, released my first feature 2017. And how old were you then when you started? Oh, oh God. Uh, so I'm 40 now. So what's that? <laughs> Five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said I was an artist, not a mathematician. No, so I guess I would have been in my mid-30s. Yeah. Amazing. But you've always been an actor and director at heart. So now you're living your calling. Oh, your passion. Skipping ropes in a different way. <laughs> yeah. And then when did you come to Australia and why? Uh, so that was 2010. Um, it was, I was just at an age where I was still able to move countries quite easily with their working holiday visa. And because um, there's, there's like a cutoff somewhere in your 30s when you can no longer do that quite as easily. So um, it, was, it was a time when 
I had to do it if I was to do it. And being a Finnish citizen, I knew I was going to be able to live anywhere in Europe at any point because of the EU. And one of my dreams, I think, at some point would be to maybe try and live in Berlin. But but I knew I could do that at any point, whereas Australia I had to do now, back then, 2010. Um, so initially, it was just one of those working holiday visas for, for a couple of years. Um, but within those two years, it was it was just a really easy place to start making art and initially I took part in productions as an actor before I started producing and directing my own work and yeah I just found Melbourne um oh, look networking is always hard but I, I definitely found my place I felt like in Melbourne and uh, within those two years already did so many projects um films and, and theater productions that it felt like it was worthwhile trying to stay here and uh, yeah I applied for something called the distinguished talent visa which was quite a process to go through but uh, yeah I got that and, and became a permanent resident and um, I've been a citizen now for a few years so yeah I, I think initially it was um, just trying whether Australia would be I, I, I feel like I feel like for many artists you often have to go to like out of your comfort zone to find new inspiration or to, or to just just find life like find life experiences and it, it might not always happen where you're born or it might not happen where you are you might have to go to a different place and, and for me at that point that place became Australia uh, it's not to say that I don't like a feeling of settling actually I would I mean I've settled here now for 12 years that's a pretty long time um, and yeah I'm, I'm just happiest where I can work and Australia has been pretty good like I've, I've felt quite supported here and I've been able to do what I was never able to do in Finland, for example. I uh, I didn't feel like I had similar opportunities there, although of course now it's un unfair to say because I have been here for that long and, and I haven't been in Finland to create those opportunities as well. For some reason, I don't know, there, there was a point of difference to me um, that maybe just helped a little bit or maybe it's my own feeling that I have to try harder here because this is not my natural environment I'm not sure why but uh yeah it's been it's been really good here um I've made really good contacts and and really enjoyed the companionship of other actors and other filmmakers here in Melbourne that was a long answer <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's a great answer I mean I can totally relate so I'm like yeah <laughs> Um, and um, so to to shift to the um, breast cancer might, might be a bit vulnerable um, conversation as well. Um, when did you find out that you and and how did you find out that you had um, cancer in your body? It is that it isn't vulnerable because like I I decided very early on to just be super open about it like. Mm. my social media I've made 
so many posts about having cancer and and through through the treatments like pictures of myself folding chemotherapy and stuff like that I've included footage of my radiotherapy in my next film <laughs> so like I think I just decided quite early on to just just be super open about it and like why not um I found out in 2019 um, there was a lump in my chest and uh, before then I was already quite aware of of the possibility because my mum had it um, and and I remember just yeah I guess examining my breast as I think every woman probably should <laughs> every now and again in the shower just have a good feel. Um, and yeah there was there was definitely like a, a, a little lump and um i went to um i had already previous like on the previous year i had had another lump checked out which was non-malignant and i went to this particular screen um and i remember that the person doing it was a bit dismissive they're like oh all breasts are lumpy so then I thought, oh, okay, oh, maybe I'm just being, you know, hypochondriac. And, and I didn't even go back for my results for quite a few months. And then I went to my GP for different reasons. It would have been like four months after that, after that scan. And I was like, oh, do you just want to look back at those, those tests that were done back in a few months ago? And and they read the report and immediately sent me back for more testing. And yeah, that lump turned out to be cancerous. And uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what happened there, why, why I hadn't been contacted about it, because it seemed like it was quite, quite clear from that scan that there was definitely something that needed to be looked at. So I guess a learning from that is that always go back for your results. It's, I, I think too often we think that, oh, they'll, they'll let me know if there's something worrisome, but no, it doesn't necessarily happen. Could be some kind of, um, I don't know, breaking communication or whatever, whatever did happen, mm -hmm. why I didn't get that message, but yeah. Um, and then that got fast-tracked pretty quickly. I got all the scans to confirm that yes, this one is malignant, this one needs to be taken out. And uh, so that would have been August um, 2019. And it was operated in November, that uh, October. October or November that year, I had the cancer removed and uh, yeah, also got chemotherapy and radiotherapy. Um, I think mainly because I was so young and because it grew quite fast. So they just wanted to give me all the works to, uh, <laughs> to try and make sure that it doesn't come back. And, and now I will be on hormonal therapy. So that's just medicine that I take on a daily basis for probably quite a long time. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and so, so obviously you were already aware of this topic because it was in your family. So how, how did you approach this? Like how, 
how are you aware of this? Like, did your mom kind of spoke with you about it or did you just research this through the family, um, you know, that you would be aware of this topic? I've been pretty alone with it, to be honest, apart from my good friends. Um, so the tragic thing with mom was that um, although she had breast cancer towards the end, she was already suffering from early onset dementia, which she got in her mid-40s, um, which basically rendered her unable to speak during the first two years of the diagnosis. Um, however, she lived for another 15. So from her diagnosis at 46, she lived for another 17 years, which was super tragic. And at least for 10 years, I just wanted to be able to kill her because it was not worth living. Like, if you imagine a bed patient unable to do anything for herself, unable to communicate, like it's, it's not life. And I know mom wouldn't have wanted to live that way. Um, and then towards the end, she also got breast cancer. So no, there, there wasn't communication with mother about it, but I was aware of it because she had it. Um, and I guess even then she would have been late fifties when she got the cancer. So that's still considered early, <laughs> although I yeah. had mine in, in my thirties. Um, so yeah, it just, just made me aware, but I think for myself, it's like, if I only get cancer, if I don't get dementia, I'm fucking lucky. Like that's how I see it. And that might sound really confronting to some people, but just having seen her in that condition, which there is no, like there's so much we can do for cancer. Like cancer is, most cancers are really quite treatable. And particularly if you get them early, it's it's thing that we know how to treat. But there is no cure for for um, dementia and the, like neurological stuff is so much harder to deal with, so much harder and, and so much more devastating, at least for, for myself to see mom in that condition. It was kind of you know, we were all waiting for her to die, basically. And I'm sure she was waiting for her to die as well. Mm. And it's just tragic that we can't help our humans to die when they need to die in the same way as we can help our pets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I totally agree. So, so pretty much you became only aware of your family um, health history kind of through pretty much looking after your mom and becoming aware of what was going on in her body um, and as well with the breast cancer so obviously she wasn't really able to talk to you but because you were caring for her you became aware that this is also something that could be related to your body and then yeah is that correct I mean yeah genetic stuff um, I would have been aware of um, just through basic schooling, biology lessons, <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, mom's illness, um, the early onset dementia was very unexplained. Um, doctors weren't really able to find any reasons for it early on and during her lifetime. And uh, I was very, uh, very keen to do a genetic study on that and, uh, and luckily found um, enough interest in in Helsinki where she died 
Helsinki, Finland, and 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 Genetist um, took her samples, and uh, and after a few years of studying, actually, they didn't find any of the common genetic mutations in her that usually cause that illness. Um, but yeah, they persisted and started looking at at more rare mutations, and after a, a couple of years, actually found one. So that's now a study that's being done at the Helsinki University. And um, I'm giving samples. Any other family members that are willing to, to give samples? Uh, before you die, you can give stuff like blood. And like there was a, um, a piece of my flesh cut out of me so that they can study that as well. Um, it's super intelligent um, research and I, I don't know how to explain it very well, but I just know that it's very important to do. And um, sorry, this gets me a little bit emotional. It's okay. I faced quite a lot of challenges in my family because my sister wasn't keen at all to do it. Um, so I, I needed to push through it myself. And, and dad also wasn't super keen to do it. I, I think he just... He didn't care so much, but sister was actually actively against it. Um, so it's been quite a sore point to, to do all that myself. Um, but I just knew it was important for medicine. So yeah, I pushed through it. And um, sorry if anyone's triggered by this watching this, but I'm, I'm comfortable crying. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally fine. It's okay. Um, yeah, I just knew that for humanity, it's important to to find out mm -hmm. um, because the, the kind of illnesses that we don't have cure for, research is the only way to mm -hmm. learn more about them and, and to potentially find a cure in the future. So, yeah, even if I felt really alone in, in that process, I knew it had to be done. And, and when they did find a mutation I was, it was like of course it's it's scary because it means that I might have it but at the same time I knew it was it was worth it that the fact that I had gone through that process was actually giving some results and some information mm. yeah well it's it's really yeah brave and good for you um to do that because obviously that i guess helps you to process things but also to help humanity understanding why people um having dementia with 46 and then suffer possibly for several more years um without being present and living the life they want to live and enjoying life so yeah thank you for that um that's great if, if it makes a difference even for one person in the future it's worth it yeah it totally for one family someone i probably won't ever know but if it means that someone else doesn't have to go through this it's worth it yeah absolutely yeah do you want to take a moment when you're okay <laughs> <laughs> i give you a hug I need some tissues. Can you give me one, sir? Yeah. Surely you can yeah. do that true. <laughs> no, I'm all right. We can continue. I'll try and collect myself. Yeah, just take a deep breath. 
<gasps> is this not therapy? I thought I came to therapy. No? Yeah. Uh, hello. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's, let's, um, let's um, talk about you again. Like, so how, how, how did you, how did you support yourself? You know, how did you, um, after you, you discovered um, you had the lump in your breast and you were seeking medical um, advice, how did you approach um, helping yourself finding the right, you know, answers? Because I, I think there are a lot of women out there that um, also have cancer, maybe not only breast cancer, but different cancers as well. And I think it's, it's really great having some great woman, um, you know, like, you know, um, getting the message out there to maybe help others to, you know, um, yeah, f finding advice, finding help, finding support in whatever way. So do you want to share something about this? Sorry, I will actually quickly blow yeah, my go for it. <laughs> Mm. Mm. Right. Um, yeah, so um, I have just a strong network of friends around me um, and I just reached out to friends. Um, at the time of my diagnosis, I was in a relationship which didn't last through the entire cancer journey it, it um, ended in the middle of one of my treatments which you know left me in a way again a little bit less supported than in a relationship having said that it wasn't that the relationship itself was two years so it wasn't like super long term or anything and probably um, you know, the pressures of cancer certainly didn't help. Um, and I guess if, if one would have been in, you know, like a lifelong relationship, there would have been a lot more support. But I, I definitely don't blame them for, for that because I think it is quite a lot of pressure for such a, a what, what is quite a new relationship but of course for myself it, it was hard because that was one support that I had um, less so I just had to be relying more on my friends and uh, the hospital that I was at which was the Olivia Newton John Center part of the Austin Hospital in Heidelberg was fantastic um, there were like outside the actual consultations there was also like a wellness center where where they had various different things they could offer like massage and um counseling and 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 things like this having said that this was before the pan this was like just before the pandemic started that most of my cancer treatment happened i was still in radiotherapy during the first lockdown actually which was an interesting journey. Um, we can come back to that later. 
But so at the moment, I feel like some of those sports probably are a little bit less in place just because of COVID, um, which is really tragic just because for me, certainly having that, what they call wellness center was, was an important place to go to for these um, extra supports that you could get, not just, you know, seeing your specialist and seeing your surgeon, but also getting a nice massage or getting um, a bit of counseling. Um, yeah, so, so true hospitals certainly, um, some things were offered, but some things were just true looking out for them myself. So I guess if anyone has to go through this journey, just, just ask the people that are treating you what, what else is there, because there usually is something else on offer, but they might not always remember to tell you about everything. Um, but yeah, just keeping keeping eyes open and mind open in, in getting all the, all the help that you can get. Um, I had some, some people reach out to me and ask me what they can do to help others that I would have not expected, but would have been nice or that they would have helped when not so forthcoming um so it's an interesting journey of I, I guess people will do stuff that they've been they feel comfortable helping with and some people just I had lots of people also like send me messages afterwards saying that oh, I really I wanted to do something but I didn't know what to and for me that's a bit like well why didn't you say it then and I could have you know I could have told you how to help me <laughs> so I guess you know for for those people that want to do something for someone else but don't know what to do just ask like I think people will tell and and just knowing that there are people out there happy to help or happy to be there for you that makes so much that, like that just makes all the difference and and for me those people that did reach out whether or not they had any idea what to do that was that was amazing and that was the best help. Yeah, Just knowing I, that I wasn't alone on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's um I think that's why I possibly introduced it. We're sometimes vulnerable because that's maybe how if you haven't gone through the journey, you know, oneself might feel that and it's might be difficult for someone to approach the person that deals with whatever whether it's mentally or physically pain um and yeah I think it's it's lovely that you share that that it's um you know whatever just ask the person and you might be rejected but you might also find that someone is really happy to um be helped by you so um, yeah I yeah. think one, one thing that I would always steer out of is giving advice because that's yeah that that kind of help is usually not, not appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think most people know what's good for them. And if they want advice, they will ask. But like sharing advice without asking, I, I think that's always something that is not super welcome. So that's the only <laughs> thing I would I would ask people to steer away from. But anything else, any kind of I, I want to be there for you. I want to, you know, physically hold your hand through this or be a listening ear. Yeah, the only thing don't do is advice. That's 
yeah. yeah. Those were some of the more painful experiences where when someone started just sharing advice without me asking for it. And rem I remember, for example, one person was like starting to tell me all these kind of foods that you should eat to, to prevent cancer. And I'm like, it's, it, it felt almost offensive because I knew that my diet was good already. And particularly if it's due to a genetic reason, there's nothing you can do to prevent getting it. Like it's, it made me feel like I had done something wrong and it was my own fault that I had cancer. So that's the kind of, that's mm -hmm. the, that's the danger in advising someone unless they specifically ask is that you make them feel like, you know, they've done something wrong and they somehow deserve this. So what, what did you find was really helpful people doing for you? Um, some people offered just like practical help, I, I guess, like, you know, oh, I'll take care of you after surgery. You can come to my place if you like, or I'll come to your place to take care of you after surgery, stuff like that. Um, coming to visit me at the hospital was nice. Um, I, I just um, really appreciated when people just asked how you are, if, whether if, if I always had the strength to answer. I, I'm not sure if, if there were people that I didn't answer to. I apologize. <laughs> But like any kind of reaching out was appreciated. And uh, yeah, just... Um, just being there just like and and I think consistency in friendships it's really important like through um through everything like through because a lot of a lot of people knew me as this you know an actor or a filmmaker that was always doing a lot of work and and um but then all of a sudden being a cancer patient is like well now I'm actually having to go to chemotherapy and like that's that's what I'm doing today <laughs> um so I guess seeing the person as a whole and seeing that as part of someone's journey and and like seeing that that person is equally valuable and equally able and yeah I think just respect through it all that when I experienced that um people still saw me as as the filmmaker and as the actor and, and not as, you know, now you're a cancer patient. No, <laughs> that's not my identity. My identity is, is to be a filmmaker. And I think that also helped when people kept bringing me back to, you know, reminding me of who I actually am. Because hmm. I think that's one of those things that the illness might do as well is kind of rob your identity and and your life becomes too much about ongoing treatments and having to look after yourself so other people reminding me about my work and my success and my uh, achievements that was really helpful as well yeah lovely that's so nice and true yeah so much truth in this um do you want to talk a bit about what what actually happened to your body after you your body and, and your mind you know once you found that um 
you had a lump in your breast like what yeah. was the journey for your body mind and soul after this so uh, after the surgery um I had such an early detection cancer that the lump was very small and physically I still look the same. So I still have my breast. Um, there's a, a little scar because of the surgery, but that's it. <laughs> if you don't see me naked, you can't tell. <laughs> and, and I guess for you know, for some, some women that might be really important that they get to keep their breasts or that they, you know, still to feel like a woman. Mm. Um, unfortunate part for me is that because it was um, a hormonal cancer, I have to now be on hormonal therapy that um, that really changes. Like I'm, I'm essentially now a postmenopausal female. <laughs> so that that means things like there's not so much estrogen anymore in my body which causes things like low mood depression um it's like estrogen is one of those things that just gives you your energy and your zest um and yeah that's it's definitely been a process to to adjust to that that you know I'm I'm not feeling as much as myself since I've had to be on that medication mm -hmm. and I really have to motivate myself um even just to to be joyous and to be happy um that takes up a lot more work than it used to um having energy to do things takes up a lot more work than it used to um and yeah it's it's just I never wanted to have children anyway but now definitely that possibility is not even there anymore so that's something to consider um sex is much harder these days because of the hormonal treatment um basically I'm now in, in a young body that's like an old female body <laughs> and sex becomes different. Um, yeah, everything just takes a little bit more effort now. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a medication that keeps my cancer away, hopefully. That's, that, that's the theory anyway. But yeah, then it causes this other challenges for me which is unpleasant and and I know I was kind of told about this stuff before I went on that treatment but also I kind of had to experience it for myself to know what it's really like like it's I think it's it's one of those things that can be explained to you in theory but before you actually experience it yourself it's impossible to know what it will be like yeah and so how did you feel about losing all your hair how long how, how, how what a long period was that like after you discovered it to 
when your hair came back like did you feel that was also a did this take some of your personality or dignity you know away yeah I think I know the hair is, is a big issue for many women and I kept reminding myself of how lucky I was to be like growing up in in the family where my mom just brought me up to believe that my my value wasn't in what I look like or mm -hmm. my value as a female isn't in how many children I can provide for the family or like yeah how pretty I actually mom never cared much about she was she was really beautiful but she didn't care about clothes or or like these kind of traditionally female things she just she really made me believe that my value wasn't what I do and so I think I was really lucky to um to grow up in that environment where I knew that my value wasn't in something like my hair or what I look like so for me personally the losing the hair wasn't a super painful experience I kind of liked what I look like with a bold hair hair head <laughs> yeah. um, and I was planning on keeping it longer the only reason I started regrowing my hair back was because it was really cold <laughs> the bold head was actually really cold and Then we were going towards winter and it was starting to get colder. I was like, no, man, I need some hair. This is, this is too cold. So otherwise I might still be bold because I quite, I quite like the look. And, um, and it was something that I had, I, I think bold head was something that I had wanted to try way before cancer, just, just to see what it looks like. And then when I didn't have a choice, when it happened through chemotherapy I don't know I kind of in some weird weird way I sort of enjoyed it I guess I, I accepted it as a part of the journey as well and um, what I did not like afterwards was a few months that followed after I started regrowing it that was that the short hair oh that that was really that was that that I didn't like so that was the part that I, I hoped I could have skipped directly from bold to longer hair. <laughs> yeah, that definitely didn't make me feel like myself at all. Yeah. Now you have pretty hair again. Sometimes it's pink. Um, so this is the length that it is. And I haven't had any... I hadn't had any haircuts since it started growing. So it's just, it's actually just grown now? really beautifully into shape by itself. Um, since when did I start regrowing? April, 2020. So, and it's now January, 2022. So that's how much uh, growth I've had since then. And uh, yeah, it's like, I think that was one of the, one of the good things about the growing journey although I didn't like the really short stages but it always like naturally just grew into a nice shape without hairdressers which was at least that's something 
Mm. Yeah. Um, and how, I mean, you said a bit about how it's um, impacting your estrogen level and your mm. mood and energy level. Um, how, how do you support yourself now? Like, obviously, I guess your awareness is constantly also on, you know, possibly checking your body, I assume, and um, being still aware of um, your breasts, possibly, as you said before, like um, checking them, but also how, yeah, how does, how does it impact you now of also what you said already, but how do you support yourself in overcoming the, you know, um, depressing parts of it? I try not to cry this much on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, you have been privy to my tears today. Um, it's, I mean, yes, I do check myself, but also when, when you have cancer once, I guess the advantage is that now I just get checked all the time anyway. <laughs> medical professionals so I I don't have to do so much myself into like I get various different scans on a yearly basis and um yeah I mean it's such a privilege to live in the country that actually cares about its people um yeah if if there's any concern my um my oncologist and surgeons definitely go into every effort of, of looking at um everything through various different ways that they can do ct scans mris or anything that they can they will do and and it's it's been really lovely to see that there really is quite a lot of care and certainly now um yeah after you've had cancer once you definitely get looked at quite quite a lot and in a way it feels like I don't have to carry that responsibility so much um yeah doctors care <laughs> and it's nice to be cared of yeah so is there anything also you like to share what women can do to um, prevent you know what would be the steps to prevent such um, events and also yeah what what can you do during and after like do you have some you know approach share I mean apart from just normal stuff about healthy lifestyle you know exercise balance diet <laughs> having fun having good sex, have good sex whilst you can. That's what I'd say. Like, <laughs> whilst your vagina is fully functional, use it. Because <laughs> it might not always be the case. And they, they don't tell you this. I don't know why we don't get told at school that, you know, as you get older, as you go through menopause, your vagina changes and it's, it's not quite as pleasurable as it used to be. I don't know why we don't get told about this stuff. Um, maybe that will be my mission now. I will tell people to use their vaginas. <laughs> I can still orgasm. It, it's, it's still happening. Clitoris hasn't been affected. It's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, like all the, all the normal health stuff, just 
I, I, I don't want to advise anyone on how to, you know, how to prevent cancer. Yeah. Like if you don't have to smoke, please don't smoke. Probably that kind of stuff helps. And, um, but I never did. And like, I, I still got cancer. So don't blame yourself. If you get cancer, it might just be bad genes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking possibly more like what you said before, I guess, like yeah. what, what I meant is more maybe, um, I guess it's possibly good to be aware of your family history and possibly any kind of, um, you know, whatever happens around you, be aware of to just might prevent or help yourself. But also what you mm. said already before, um, check your breasts under the shower or also go to a GP and check it before um, it's yeah. too much, too big, too um, too late that, that kind of um, I guess what I wanted to rap, like yeah wrap, um, the, wrap on the, what you know and also take other people's word for it I, I remember the very initial lump was <laughs> discovered by by someone I was having sex with so it wasn't myself at all <laughs> oh, okay. they were like hmm I mean it's a nice breast but there's a lump in there I was like oh I hadn't noticed um and that wow. that was the initial lump that actually was non-malignant but it was because of that lump that then I became more aware of actually checking them more often um so yes thank you person <laughs> 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 for pointing that out to me um yeah check your own breast or check your partner's breast if your partner has got breasts um and obviously that's yeah that's just the first step in and also like they can be underneath your arms they're not necessarily in the breast themselves hmm. I guess just if you have any concern about anything talk to your doctors because you know they, their job is to be interested and after I, I think something that I always recommend to anyone that will listen is getting therapy like it's just um I have been seeing a grief counselor since my 20s because I was 16 when mum got ill and so I was still a teenager and um, ever since mum was ill our family dynamic was very difficult and because I guess she was the person who kept peace and, and kept the family together and when she was no longer able to be that person the family just crumbled apart and we all had to kind of fend for ourselves and um so yeah I think in my early 20s I realized I I, I needed just you know support and and so I've, I've seen counselors ever since then and um I had a long relationship which was about 11 years and that was that was really supportive and around that time I think I got a little bit less therapy just because the relationship was so loving and so um supportive so I felt like I needed it less um then mom actually physically died although she had died a decade before when mom physically died um a few years ago I I went back into therapy grief counseling and yeah that that's been it's just a lifesaver it's I don't see what I would do if I wasn't in therapy 
I definitely wouldn't be a very good human to anyone around me because I would be just too sad. Um, whereas now that I have that support, I'm not this crying mess on daily basis. <laughs> and I have strategies of, of how to support myself and how to, um, how to get over the, the worst periods of my life. And, and so I was already in counseling because of grieving for mum when I then got cancer. So I, I think for me, that was an important part that there was already an established relationship with a counselor that already knew me. It's probably a little bit more challenging if the first time that you go into therapy is through your cancer journey. And, and that's like a new skill because there's, there's a bit of a skill in talking about yourself and, and about your emotions and issues to someone. It, it's almost like a skill in itself. And but so I had already established that true craving about losing mum and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I definitely have kept that up through these years and and also before COVID was going to like a, a support group as well, or um, just for like depression and anxiety, those kind of issues. I haven't really ever been diagnosed with anything like it, although I can definitely feel like I sometimes have really low mood and um, grieving is, is definitely an issue that I've needed help with for years. and. Um, but I haven't actually been ever diagnosed with a mental health condition or whatever that means. But, but I think with, with the support group that I was going to, it was, you didn't, didn't need diagnosis. You, you usually don't. If you, if you feel like you need the help, you can usually go and find a group that will be suitable for it. But again, I'm talking before pandemic. Again, this is another thing that's been really challenged through this and I just don't see the whole online <laughs> support group thing being anything as useful as when you're actually seated in the room with people. Um, I know a lot of people find that idea of going into support group quite challenging and, and like being vulnerable in front of people that you don't know just too much. But I think something that I experienced was that there was no pressure of talking like I could have just gone and sometimes did just go in and listen to other people talk and that was completely fine I didn't always feel like saying anything when I went to support group and I could just sit there and listen and even even that was quite helpful just to hear that other people also have challenges and I'm, I'm not alone so that was definitely really helpful um, I know for cancer there would be support groups, but again, because of the timing with the pandemic, I haven't attended any of those, but I imagine they would be helpful. And probably after, after the, the madness of the pandemic is over and done with, hopefully one of these years, decades, um, I'll, I'll probably seek for something like that as well. Yeah, amazing. That's, that's a good, um advice and 
yeah good to um, yeah the things you share like also sometimes yeah listening to other people might help you as well as talking yourself or maybe opens you up to you know like maybe coming back to the word vulnerable but like becoming vulnerable in front of people actually talking about your experience or finding empathy um other people talking and you feel like oh wow they feeling the same way i do um yeah totally yeah and and like even just as an artist as an actor it's, it's invaluable for me to see other people go through their journeys like mm. i suppose i would still choose not to have cancer <laughs> or i suppose i would still choose not to have lost my mother but at least through this journey i've learned so much about humanity and about other people that yeah that's yeah what would that be i just wanted to ask you like after all these experiences highs and lows being creative then being diagnosed with cancer um what's 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 your life advice for people you know what, what's a good thing <laughs> to share um to bring some positive thoughts uh, into the world my life advice is never give advice to anyone else <laughs> Well, you're not forcing it to someone. I just asked you. <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe not I, advice, but maybe just like a yeah. message you, um, you know. Something. I, I mean, I, I always forget this when I'm feeling really bad. Like when I'm at my lowest of lows, I, they're, they're reaching out to other people. That's hard because if I feel like I'm, I'm just feeling this shit here. Like why would anyone want to, have me in their life if I'm feeling like this uh, so so yeah but it's I guess those are the times when when I most need to reach out to someone and yeah I, I think that's just just having people around you whoever they are like for me for example that's not my biological family it's it's the friends that I've created um, on my journey, like those friendships and be me looking after people when they needed it and them looking after me when I needed it. Like that's, that's all there is really just looking after each other. And yeah, I, I find that in those times when I am really, really very low and, and suffering that it's very difficult to be vulnerable because I felt like I would be judged and I would be not respected when I'm a crying mess um and maybe that's true for some people maybe maybe it is hard to respect someone who is a crying mess and and to still see them as equally strong and powerful as they were before but I think also I've just had to um, accept help of other people and that hasn't always been easy because I guess also of, you know early experiences of being let down by the biological family that the kind of the the environment where we're supposed to be loved and accepted for who we are um, whatever that is um, and unfortunately not true for all of us 
but yeah, I, I think I realized quite early on that I just had to, uh, I really had to make an effort to create a support network around myself. And, and yeah, I'm just really grateful for, for the friendships that are around me and um, that keep nurturing me and I keep nurturing them. And yeah, I think just other people, I mean, what, what else is there for a human than other people? <laughs> pets. Uh, but yeah, well, pets, that's, but I just, yes, you, you definitely get a lot of emotional support from a pet, but for myself, humans are yeah pretty irreplaceable. <laughs> um, that's true. Or yeah. saying pets because I know how we love, yeah. how we both share yeah. the love for animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lovely. Um, what was the original question? Advi my advice. Um, yeah, just, just to, uh, it might be difficult to try and ask for help, but try at least ask for help and then people are usually quite happy to do something, particularly if they get told what to do. <laughs> it's just like, um, if, if you tell people how you would like to be supported, usually um, you can get that help, particularly if you're not an asshole. If you are an asshole, <laughs> then I don't know how to help you. <laughs> um, but you no, know, if like if you're kind to people, they're usually kind back and um, and then you're allowed to be asshole at times. If if eighty percent of the time you're kind, then you're allowed to your twenty percent of being an asshole when you're feeling really low and moody, and and that's probably also okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's all not be assholes most of the time <laughs> well thank you so much for um sharing all your story i really loved listening to it um it was really nice sorry about all the crying it's okay so um thank you so much and <laughs> i don't know thank you very much and yeah i i will survive i i think i'm just quite comfortable with being vulnerable now and I just I've seen time over time how my pain helps other people sometimes because I guess we're not so used to expressing it in, in this way and and being so wonderful in front of it and against it and with it and yeah that's why I've decided to to be so open about my own pain in hope that when other people are going through some difficult stuff, they can see that there's, there's another crying mess in this world. Don't worry. Exactly. <laughs> and yet I survive and I'll go back to making films. Amazing. Yay. Can't wait to see the films. I'm just going to link all your names and homepages and things uh, in the show notes of the video and then people want to see your films um contact you or um the like um they can yeah always yeah always yes <laughs> okay sarah thank you so much and thank you. Um, <laughs>